0: I want you to think for a moment uh, this morning about what it is that most identifies you. What is it about your life? Uh, What is it uh, about what aspect of your life that you would kind of put your finger on that most identifies you? And we would all probably have a variety of, of different answers to that question. Some of you might say, well, I'm a mom. Or some might, you know, say, well, I'm a grandpa. Or it might be... Something about your occupation or it might be your relationship status or it might be something that relates to the letters behind your name or your education or something else. But every one of us has different things that actually identify us in some different ways. And so the question that I want you to have sort of in your mind today and uh, as we talk through and look at the text that we're going to look at today is this question of what is it that identifies you? My guess is is also that it probably has changed over the years uh, throughout your life. There might be seasons of your life where certain things identify you and then you go into other seasons of your life and what identifies you uh, slightly changes or maybe radically changes for one reason or another. I remember when I was growing up as a young boy, the thing that identified me largely growing up in a small town of Carrot River and living on a farm just outside was that there was six of us who were all within one year of age, and we all lived within five miles of each other, and we were known as the Inns Boys. That identified me. I was part of the pack. I was part of this group. We hung out together all the time. We did stuff uh, all through our growing up years. And it was a huge part of what my identity was about, good and bad. The trouble that we got in, the fun that we had, all that kind of stuff. But it was really my identity. Now, I hardly ever see my cousins, but at the same time, we're still close when we connect, but it doesn't identify me anymore. Now it's other things. It's being a father, it's being a husband, it's being a pastor, whatever the case may be. All of us have different things that identify us at different times in life. So I want you to have that question in your mind. We've been in a a series uh, throughout the Advent season of the anticipation of Christmas, and now we're past that. We're in this Christmas season still, but we're Just concluding our series today called Strangers in a Foreign Land. And throughout Advent we were looking at the variety of characters in the Christmas story and how each one of them were strangers in one form or another in a foreign land and the impact of that on them and also some of the implications for us as well. But what we'll see today as we look at our text and what we want to focus on today is the fact that this title, this phrase, this identity is something that is true for every single one of us if we are followers of Jesus Christ. And I know that that may not be true for everyone that's here today. You may not be one who would identify yourself as a follower of Jesus Christ. But even today, and as we go into the gospel every time, there's always this invitation of who do you say Jesus is? What is your identity? Is this what God is calling you to claim, that identity that he has for you? one of the reasons that this text today draws us there and uh, gives us that identity of strangers in a foreign land is for a variety of reasons. One of those, which is that life is very short. Life is fleeting. Most of us know that. We feel it in our bones. We feel it in our bodies. We sense that at different stages in life uh, for sure. And we get this sense that we are just passing through. That we are just passing through this life on earth and it is very fleeting in all kinds of ways. Um, I was just in Calgary for a really short uh, trip. Our family went last weekend and just spent one day with uh, those of my family who live uh, in that area of Calgary and just had a family Christmas there. And it it struck me again as I saw my, my older brothers. I'm the youngest of five boys and I saw my older brothers there. My sisters weren't there, but I noticed how old they were getting. You ever notice that? As you look around at other people that you know and you see them again, you go, boy, are you ever getting old? But we never see it in ourselves, right? I mean, we just see it in other people. And I just noticed again, my my brothers are really old, actually. And it sort of marches on, time does, doesn't it? I remember just yesterday, I was at an event and talking to parents of young kids and they were... Uh, Talking about the fact of how their kids are growing up so fast. And again, just this realization that when you have children, it marks time so quickly as every year passes and you you see them grow up so quickly and how time moves on. In recent weeks, I was involved in two funerals. And again, funerals are a time that remind us that life is fleeting. And so we recognize that, that there is a fleeting nature to our lives Life expectancy uh, during the time of the Roman Empire, when a lot of this, uh, when Scripture was written, was about 25 years. Think of that. That was the average life expectancy of somebody at that time, about 25 years. At the turn of the century, not this last century, the one prior when we got into the 1900s, life expectancy was about 50 years, was the average lifespan. Now, in recent years, statistics tell us that the life expectancy is approximately 81 years of age. Unless you're Louise Balzer or of that clan, then you can expect to live a lot longer, possibly. But typically, the life expectancy is about 81 years old. And yet, it's still, even though that's extended from what it was, it still feels fleeting, doesn't it? It goes fast. So again, in this... Uh, text that we'll look at today, and in this series of being strangers in a foreign land, I want us to see and to reflect on this identity that we are all temporary residents. This earth is not our home. We weren't actually created for this place, but that we were created for a heavenly home with our heavenly Father. And that this this tag or this identity of strangers in a foreign land actually applies to each of us, if we are followers of Jesus Christ. And we'll see why as Peter talks to those believers. And I want you to turn in your Bibles to First Peter chapter 2. And uh, we'll look at this text and a few others as well. But in 1 Peter chapter 2, we see this text where the, the Apostle Peter, one who walked with Jesus, he is speaking words of encouragement to uh, those who are new believers. And earlier in, in chapter 2, and we're going to start in verse 9, but just prior to that, Peter is talking about those who stumble and fall. Those who uh, stumble and fall on this one true living stone of Jesus Christ. And, And he says, there is the cornerstone in Jerusalem chosen for great honor. And everyone who trusts him will never be disgraced. And he's talking about Jesus. And he talks about the stone that the builders rejected that has now become the cornerstone. But it also makes people stumble. And it's the rock that causes them to fall. And he uses this imagery uh, and this language of stones and living stones. And he, in fact, talks about the church in that way. And then he goes into this text in verse 9. And we'll read from verse 9 to 12. And he says to these people, he says, But you are not like that, for you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's very own possession. And as a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Once you had no identity as a people, but now you are God's people. Once you received no mercy, but now you have received God's mercy. Dear friends, I warn you as temporary residents and foreigners to keep away from worldly desires that wage war against your very souls. Be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors. And then even if they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your honorable behavior and they will give honor to God when he judges the world. You see, in this text, it also points ahead to this second coming of Jesus Christ. And Advent, as we've talked about in the last week, is also about that. It's, it is about the expectation and the anticipation of the first coming, of, of the baby Jesus and of celebrating that incredible story of God. But it's also an expectation and anticipation of the second coming of Jesus when he will return one day again to bring all things to completion. And Paul or Peter is alluding to that here and making reference to that here as well. Peter was a close disciple of Jesus. He was one who walked with Jesus for the years of ministry that he had on this earth. He ate meals with him. He did ministry together with him. He saw unbelievable miracles that happened as you read the Gospels. He was, the one, he was one of the ones who had his feet washed by the Savior. He was witness to to all kinds of things that happen in the life and the ministry of Jesus. So think about that as Peter is writing these words. He has seen and experienced all of these things in these last number of years. And now here it is years later, and he is writing this letter, not so much to a church, but to these Jewish believers, these first believers who are now scattered throughout Jerusalem and the whole surrounding area, because of the persecution that is happening. What's interesting about Peter is, if there's one thing that he is often identified for, it's the fact that he betrayed Jesus. Isn't that right? When we think of Peter, oftentimes people reflect on that and they sort of say, well, okay, but he's the one who denied Jesus. He denied him. He didn't really kind of stand up for him. When he was confronted and, hey, do you know him? He was the one who denied Jesus. But what I find so fascinating is how that did not define peter it might be one of the things that he was identified with in one way or another but we'll see in this text that it doesn't define him he writes this letter he writes this word of testimony he writes this letter of encouragement written years later to these jewish christians who were scattered as i said throughout this whole region because of the persecution that was happening persecution that first and foremost happened probably at the hands of other jewish people their brothers and sisters who did not believe that Jesus was the Messiah and were now persecuting those who were followers of Christ. But then this persecution spread. And Rome tried to stamp out this movement, this gospel, what was known as the Way. And they tried to stamp it out because of all the implications politically that they saw and the threat that it was to so many. And so Peter was witness to this. He was witness to this persecution and this hardship and this difficulty. And he's writing these words to these people. And he's saying, you have an identity that you need to hold on to. You have an identity that God has for you that you need to claim and grab hold of and know and understand. Peter knew about persecution. Peter knew about hardship. He knew about trials and challenges. He had been beaten. He had been jailed. And eventually he himself was executed as part of this wave of persecution that was going throughout the region. But here's the thing. He had witnessed so much that he could not deny the risen Savior. And so he's writing this letter and he's saying, I have seen this with my own eyes. I've experienced this with my own life. I have been witness to this. And you need to understand who you are in Christ. Because Jesus is alive. He rose from the grave. He's alive. He had seen him. So into this context of persecution, Peter writes these words. About identity. And he says, you need to know that you are strangers in a foreign place. You are foreigners. You are people who are just passing through. This life is not your eternal home. This life is so temporary and you need to have a view and an understanding of your life and your identity in a way that will change you, sustain you. Because when you see, when we come to the crucible of life, when a crucible is something that is all about heat and pressure, And it's a container that is all about that. And when we come to the crucible of life, when when things in our lives have heat and pressure, our identity matters. And the words that have been spoken to us and the words that are spoken over over us matter. The truth of who we are matters. Because it's in those moments when our identity, whatever we understand it to be, will either cause us to spiral down in despair or lift us up in faith and in hope. And Peter says in this text, he says, you are not like that. You are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. You are God's very own possession. You are a special people. He understood the unique role that the people of Israel, these Jewish people, had by the call of God. And he also understood, and as this unique calling, even today, continues on, I believe, with the people of Israel, there's a very special role that God has for those people, but how we who are not of Jewish descent are grafted in, are part of this blessing, part of this identity, part of this calling as well. So Peter is talking to these people and he's saying, you need to know that you are a special priesthood, that you have a unique identity as you claim it as a follower of Jesus. You've heard the phrase as we talk about a priesthood of all believers. You know, in Old Testament times, People cannot approach God directly, but there was a system of priests, of people who were in between and who would sort of go and make offering on behalf of the sins of the people, and they would intercede on behalf of the people before God. But then in the New Testament, how through the victory on the cross and what Christ has overcome, how we have direct access to God, this priesthood of all believers, and Peter is identifying them and saying, this is your identity. You have direct access to the living God but also that we have this priestly responsibility of bringing others to see the greatness of God and the ministry of reconciliation that God has called us to, of reconciling God and people. So again, I ask this question, what's your identity? Where did Peter's identity come from? Where does your identity come from? Does it come from your own accomplishments? Does it come from what we do? Does it come from... Uh, The things that are, again, behind our name or something like that. If it comes from our own accomplishments, it leads us to a couple of problem areas. On the one hand, if we do well and we succeed, then we take pride in our own accomplishments and our identity becomes a thing of pride. But on the other hand, if we think too lowly of ourselves and we think that we are absolutely nothing and that we are no good whatsoever, it leads us in a direction of not seeing ourselves through the eyes of God either. That we are redeemed people made in the image of God. And so what Peter is pointing out and what we need to see as well, that it's not what we have done, but it's what God has done. And we need to just receive it. To embrace this identity, this heavenly identity, this citizenship of heaven. And recognize that this is not our eternal home on earth. It's been interesting for me as I watch... uh, Documentaries, watch movies about World War II, and about the events, the horrific events that happened during that era. One of the things that has always struck me was the importance of papers of identity. Especially as it was for the Jewish people, but for other people as well, that you would have papers that would kind of mark your identity. It defined who you were, and oftentimes these very papers were the things that would lead to either life or death. And so you would hold on to them, they were invaluable. And how even today we talk about identity theft and how even electronically you can be vulnerable in those ways. But our identity, in one way or another, is so valuable to us. It marks us. Peter had an identity that had the imagery of, of rocks. He used that identity and conveyed that to other people as well. We see that in Second Peter First uh, f- Peter 2, verse 5, where he says, And you are living stones that God is building into his spiritual temple. What's more, you are his holy priests. So he's talking to these believers of Jesus Christ, these followers of Christ, and saying, you are living stones. And he uses this imagery. And you think, well, where did this come from? Well, it comes from the identity that Jesus gave to Peter himself. I invite you to turn your Bibles back to Matthew chapter 16. If you look in Matthew chapter 16, you see this text where Peter and Jesus are talking and Jesus asks his disciples this question of identity as well. And in Matthew 16 verse 13, it says this, When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? In other words, what's my identity? Well, they replied, Some say John the Baptist. Some say Elijah. Others say Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. And then he asked them this question. But who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered, and he says, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus replied, You are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. Now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock. And upon this rock I will build my church, and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. Jesus is asking questions of identity. And he asks a question that the gospels and Jesus ask each and every one of us throughout the course of history of who do you say that Jesus is? He says, What's the identity that you give Jesus? And then Jesus makes this remarkable statement to Peter and this, hu- this huge moment of identity, and he says, Now I say to you, Peter, which means rock. Or I say that you are Peter, which means rock, and upon this rock I will build my church, and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. And commentators throughout the years have wrestled through, well, what was Jesus exactly saying? There's three different views that you can have of that text right there. It can be viewed as Jesus is the rock upon which all things are built. It can also, others have said, well, it means that Peter is the rock, as one of the early leaders in the church, and just an anchor in the church, and someone from a human perspective, was a rock that the church was built upon? Or was it that Peter's faith was the rock and his declaration of who Jesus was? Now you, we see throughout scripture, as you look at scripture as a whole, that clearly that Jesus is the foundation and Jesus is the one true rock. We looked at that in the fall as we looked at 1 Corinthians 3 and in verse 11 where it says that Christ is the one true foundation upon which all things are built. And even in the the Peter text that we've been looking at today, it speaks of Jesus as the rock, as the cornerstone. So that is unmistakable throughout Scripture. But here, Peter, or Jesus seems to be making a statement to Peter that is such a significant statement of identity. Huge for Peter. Yes, he does deny Jesus, but it does not define him. He's saying, Peter, this is your identity. This is who you truly are. And I think this text helps us to rethink our identity. We have fleeting lives not made for this earth. But we have been created for heaven. And we too are strangers and temporary residents in this land. And in light of the grand story of God, of his life and his death and his resurrection and how he will return one day, the return of Jesus We know that we too have this identity of just passing through as strangers in a foreign land. We need to remember that and understand that as we think about our identity in Christ and how we walk through this life. And Peter says that, he says, pay attention to how you live and live in such a way that your grace and your humility and, and the way that you walk with Jesus will actually be so evident to all those around you, especially those who are not believers. They'll see a difference in you. And it'll point them towards God. And the way that we can live that way is when we don't become consumed by the things of this world. But we see this life and the things of this world in light of eternity and in light of this truth that we are made for a heavenly kingdom. And it changes us. So what has shaped your identity? What are the words that have been spoken to you, over you, about you, that in one way or another have shaped you. And I know for some of us, we have heard words in our lives that have been very hurtful. And have been words that have identified us, whether we like to admit it or not, that have shaped us in some way. Words that we need the grace of God to step out and move beyond the pain that's there. Words that need reconciling. But for others, there have been words of truth that have been spoken upon us and about us that have been words of identity that affirm us, that have built us up. What kind of words have been spoken that have identified you? Or another question, what are the words of identity that we have spoken to others? Maybe it's to our parents or to our family members, or if you have children, words to our children or to co-workers or to others that our loved ones? What are the words that we use that shape people's identity? How have they shaped you and how will we use words to shape others? We see powerful words in this text and in the Matthew text that we saw as well, words of Jesus. And in this text, words of Peter that speak words of identity that are powerful and true. There's a book that came out a number of years ago Uh, called The Blessing, written by John Trent and, and Gary Smalley. And it was a book that I remember had a significant impact on me at the time. And in this book, they talked about the biblical idea of blessing, and they looked at the history of the blessing throughout the course of Scripture. And how does it relate to us today? And they kind of landed on five different aspects of what a blessing kind of looks like and feels like. I'll mention them briefly. First of all, just meaningful touch, appropriate meaningful touch where the laying on of hands as you see throughout scripture or when you give a hug to a person, uh, something that is nonverbal that that sets the stage for the words that will come. Secondly, a spoken message or word. Again, as words mean things, words have power. Thirdly, attaching high value, words that speak value into a person in one way or another. Fourthly, a special future, that there's an aspect of something of the future that Who you are and where you are today, again, does not define you, but it's something that is future-oriented. And then fifthly, genuine commitment. That there is a blessing upon people when there is a genuine commitment and, and loved ones are engaged in your life in one way or another. And just for a minute, I want you to think of those middle three, especially a spoken word attaching high value and a special future. And think about how is it that we can shape the identity of others around us by speaking words of blessing in that kind of way, what would that look like in our lives? I remember reading an article once about, uh, it was a modern day newspaper reporter had followed this Jewish family in New York and had gone to their house for Sabbath. And uh, as they experienced Sabbath together, And for them, it's on a Friday night. They would gather the family together with some of the best food and drink and have this wonderful meal together. And then the father of this family would take a moment and he would speak a word of blessing on every one of the children. This was a weekly practice, part of their Sabbath ritual, part of their spiritual disciplines as a family. And I remember thinking, what a beautiful picture of blessing, of a father just speaking a special word to each of the children. And I know so many of you have done that in so many different ways creative ways where you speak words of blessing, of identity on your children or on your parents in whatever direction the generations go. But my encouragement to us is to think about what would that look like in our lives? In our family, Lisa and I have done that in a variety of different ways. And sometimes, and we too, have many words that we'd like to take back that we have said at different times, just like every one of us. One of the things that we started a number of years ago is when each of our girls reaches around 16 years of age and we haven't been completely consistent on that, but we're getting close. We, we give them and, and go shopping with them, and they buy a ring, and they get to buy a ring, and it's not a really expensive one, but it's one that they then engrave with a scripture verse that her, her mom, their mom and I have chosen and sort of discerned for them. And a scripture verse that speaks uniquely to each of our kids is just sort of a word of blessing, something that is unique to the nature of them and how God has created them. What's the way for you That you speak words of blessing and identity to those that you love. What could that look like? Peter speaks words of identity to these people who are struggling. To these people who are feeling the crush of persecution and are trying to figure out how to make it through the next day. And he says, this is your identity. You are God's chosen people. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. You are God's special possession. And when you know and you understand that identity, you can persevere. You can make it through this. And things can change. These are the words that God would want you to hear this morning. And through his Holy Spirit to speak uniquely to your situation, to your context, and to your family. I'm going to invite the worship team up as they lead us in some closing songs. And I want to just conclude our time in prayer. Would you stand with me as I pray? Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have created us to be in relationship with you. I thank you that our identity is found in you. And I pray, Lord, that we would be able to just claim and grab hold of and see again that identity. And Lord, I know that on a morning like this, that there are those here who have lost their way in their identity and what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that you, through your Holy Spirit, would do a very unique work in the hearts and lives of each one of us here today. That we would see and know our identity again in Christ. And how it changes things. How it helps us to understand who we are when we are in the crucible of life. When there is heat and pressure and intensity. And we don't know how we're going to make it through. And so Lord, I pray that you would reveal that to us again. Help us to hear again the words of scripture. The words of promise. The words of hope. That we are a child of the king. Help us, Lord, to just grab hold of that identity again. And to claim it. And to walk in it. And Lord, I thank you that you have given us this perspective that we are temporary residents in this life. We acknowledge that life is so fleeting. And we thank you that you have called us and prepared us for an eternal home. So Lord, I pray that through your spirit you would speak and minister to each one of us here today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.